said, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw the son to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus, I want to stop right here. Everybody say, but Jesus. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. I want to talk about something today that I'm hoping will leave you astonished at the majesty of God. Our sermon title, the first sermon in our series on detours, is called simply Trapped in Unbelief. That's the first detour that Jesus is going to walk us through, trapped in unbelief. There's some people in this room today who are trapped in an endless cycle. Whatever that cycle might be for you, you're just stuck. I don't know what kind of stuck that you're stuck in. I don't know what kind of trap that you're trapped in. But I know that there's probably some people in this theater who just feel like they can't get out of a said situation. And I'm glad you're here today because God's got a word for you this morning. <clears throat> and for some of you, it might be a little bit of an arrangement that he's going to walk you through. For some of you, it might be getting back onto a pathway that you have long since uh, left, left behind. For some of you, I'm just going to be frank, just putting out all my cards on the table right now. For some of you, that's going to mean giving your lives to life to Jesus Christ for the first time. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. We're going to give you that opportunity to make that choice at the end of the sermon. But right now, I just want to camp out on this word, trapped. For those of you that feel trapped. And I want to start off with a, a slightly trivial example of what I mean to kind of set the pace for what we're going to be talking about. When I first moved here 14 years ago, moved to Santa Barbara, I remember encountering a situation where I felt trapped. I'm just going to be honest, it had to do with the traffic. Traffic right on State Street, specifically all the one-way streets. Where I come from in rural Watsonville, four hours north of here, we didn't have any one-way streets. And so I moved to Santa Barbara, my young self, 15 years ago, just, uh, just enamored with the glitz and the glamour of State Street. And I, I immediately went to State Street, because that's what you do when you first move here. You go to State Street. And I began to drive. And there were one-ways everywhere, right? Every street was a one-way around State Street. It was uh, Anacapa. It was Santa Barbara. But even the streets that were two-ways eventually turned into one-ways without any warning whatsoever. Chapala, Delavina, they were all that way. And to make matters worse, they were all clustered around State Street, which was where I was told I had to go because I moved to Santa Barbara. Now, on State Street, to make all of that the worst, uh, as worse as it could possibly be, was this little rule on State Street that you might be familiar with. No left turns on any day except Sunday. Why Sunday? Because Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> People keep telling me that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't change things. I'll tell you it changed things right now. <laughs> It changes death, it defeated the devil, it wipes away your sins, and it changes the flow of traffic on Sunday. 
You can turn left on State Street on Sunday, but from Monday to Saturday, there are no left turns. And so imagine my chagrin as a new Santa Barbara, as I'm driving down State Street and I get stuck or trapped in an endless cycle of figure eights going down State Street just constantly. I can't turn left. I can't turn left. I'm doing figure eights. And all I wanted to do was get to Habit Burger. That was all I wanted in my life. Couldn't get there. Now, that is a silly and trivial example, but I'm hoping that the simplicity of that feeling resonates with you in the real feelings of trappedness that you encounter. That was silly for me, but frustration, I, I might have experienced a little bit of frustration on State Street, but frustration rises in correlation to what's at, uh, at stake in your situation. For me, I experienced a little bit of frustration stuck, trapped in an endless cycle in traffic. But you might experience a little more frustration being stuck in an endless cycle of broken relationships. In a trivial sense, you might have felt stuck in a little, in a little way in that 50-inning game with the Dodgers where you just felt yourself watching baseball day in and day out at a time. In a trivial, silly sense. But for some of you, you might feel a lot more frustration being stuck in a cycle of addiction, being stuck in a cycle of failure, stuck in an endless cycle of figure eights, feeling shame and guilt like there's no way out. Frustration rises in correlation to what's at stake in the situation. Your situation might feel to you to be bleak. And for some of you, you're not laughing because you really do feel trapped. You feel stuck. Has anyone in this room ever felt trapped before? Am I, am I just preaching to the back wall? Is there somebody in this building that this sermon is for? Look at this man, verse 38 through 39. Behold, a man from the crowd cried out. You're going to see an example of feeling trapped. Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child, my boy. Behold, a spirit seizes him, and suddenly he cries out, seized by a demonic principality, oppressed by the devil there's anything worse than feeling stuck and feeling trapped, it's looking at a loved one who's feeling stuck and feeling trapped. And if there's anything than looking at a loved one who's trapped and stuck, it's this next line in verse 40. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. If there's anything worse than being stuck, or knowing somebody that you deeply care for who's stuck, it's the coinciding feeling of that trappedness, that stuckness, that there's nothing you can do to free them from that cycle. Anybody ever felt that way before? Yeah. <laughs> this story is about those moments in your life where nothing that you seem to do is able to break you free from the cycle of feeling trapped. And Jesus opens up this passage. He opens up his part of the dialogue by giving the diagnosis. Uh, the diagnosis for me with State Street was just to stay away from State Street. That's still my solution today, by the way, 14 years later. But Jesus' solution to a young boy who felt trapped was to give this, this phrase, which seems a little harsh, explain it in a bit, but he answered saying, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. It sounds harsh, as sometimes Jesus' words can sometimes appear abrasive, but it's really just a, a kind diagnosis of the problem. 
Uh, the words that he's using here for faithless and twisted, I want to talk about those words. We'll talk about faithless in a few minutes. I want to talk first about twisted. Twisted comes from a Greek word which means to turn, literally to turn aside from the right path. You were going in this direction, but for whatever reason, you took a detour, okay? This is the, this is the word that we're getting the name of our miniseries from. You took a detour from the right path, a long route that is taken to avoid something. You were going in this direction, but for whatever reason, you have taken a a circuitous route around the pathway. This is the way that you were supposed to go, and you veered off that path. And our detours are really just avoidances of what we need to do, what we know we need to do. And perhaps some of you are sitting here and you know you've taken detours in your life. And maybe you're paying the price. Or maybe you've taken some detours in life. You've, you've introduced some compromises. You've done things that you know you're not supposed to do. But you keep doing them because you have not paid the price. There have been no felt circumstances. Uh, uh, there have been no consequences up until this point. And perhaps that is allowing you today to say, I, nothing's hurting me. I'm just going to keep living my life the way that I want. Detours catch up with you. There was a man by the name of Salisbury Haley from 1851 who was entrusted by the city of Santa Barbara to survey the downtown area in which most of us now drive. The surveying involved him measuring out the streets and the blocks in order to lay out a grid that would eventually be downtown Santa Barbara for centuries to come. He took out his tool, his surveying chain, which was a a set of links in order to measure city blocks, only his was broken. Some of the links were missing, and so he mended them with leather hide strips. And instead of fixing the chain, he just allowed the tool that he was using uh, in the surveying of the land. The problem with that was that as the weather changed, those leather hide links changed as well. Whether it was hot or whether it was cold, so those links would lengthen or contract in their length, which resulted in some city blocks in Santa Barbara being upwards of 14 feet longer than they were supposed to. This means that there's streets in downtown Santa Barbara that you go down, and as you're about to go through an intersection, it seems a little off. Anybody know what intersection I'm talking about? Delegare and Santa Barbara Street. There's a classic one. There's a few others. There's a couple things we can learn from that example. One is you can mess up the entire layout of Santa Barbara for centuries to come and still have a street named after you, Haley. (laughs) But that's not important. The second thing is that detours, even though they seem small, they can wreck the entire entire layout of your life. Every time you drive down De La Guerra Street, you're going to remember this sermon. Every time you wonder if you can turn right or if you're supposed to go straight, or if you're stuck in a one-way, I want you to remember this sermon. Detours are real, and detours are bigger than you think. And the realest problem that we have is not the broken relationships. It's not the cycles of addiction even. It's not even the shame or the failure. Those are real problems. They're not the realest problem. Underneath all of those problems is what we look for to introduce change into our lives. Underneath all of those real problems is where we go. The realest problem 
is that some of us continue to choose detours instead of true freedom in Jesus Christ. We embrace short-term benefits in exchange for long-term change. And detours don't always feel like a big deal, do they? I'm just going to use my leather hide links. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. (laughs) I'll just compromise this once, a little bit. Life is busy. Jesus will be there waiting. No problem. I'm just going to remove myself from Christian fellowship, just for a little bit. Five years later, you wonder what happened to your life. Because you're flailing in a cycle that you can't stop. Detours don't feel like they're a big deal because they're small. But over time, they mount up. They add up. And as you're looking at the layout of your life, you see that things just aren't aligned. And you feel trapped. The first detour I want to talk about today is unbelief. I'm getting that from the first word that Jesus says. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. When Jesus speaks about faithlessness, he's simply speaking about our unbelief. And I don't want it to make about what maybe some of us are thinking when we think about unbelief, and that's doubt, struggling with doubt. Everybody in this room, I'm sure, has struggled with doubt. I struggle with doubt. Doubt is not a sin in and of itself. What matters is what we do with those doubts, how we struggle with them, how we wrestle with them. And when Jesus speaks about faithlessness or unbelief, he's speaking about a lack of trust, He's speaking about people who are wrestling with doubts, wrestling with questions, and instead of going down the pathway into the arms of Jesus, they're going down their detours into compromise, self-medication, all the variety of ways in which we try to make sense of our lives that is not Jesus. For you, unbelief or lack of trust might be you saying, hey, I hear Jesus calling me. He's been moving in my heart. He's been moving in my life. He's been trying to get my attention. I just don't think he can help. He can help that guy. He can help that lady. But I don't think he can help me. I've got to pull myself up by the bootstraps and figure this thing out by myself. For some of you, it might be, I know exactly what I need. That's why I'm in church this morning. I know exactly what I need. I just don't want to commit today. I'll commit Monday. Some of you might be saying, I know God can free me from being trapped. I just, I just don't want to give up the things that he's calling me to give up in order to experience and taste true freedom. The short-term benefits of this thing that I have are worth more to me now than long-term change. For some of you, it might be, I have doubts. I have questions. I just don't want to deal with them in the presence of God or other people. Whatever it is for you, you might find in taking the detour of unbelief that it doesn't, it doesn't affect your life too dramatically right away. But over time, your trust begins to erode. The more you entertain unbelief and faithlessness, the more your trust begins to erode. What used to be trust gives way to cynicism. You find your spirit and your heart callous to the things of God, to the goodness in other people, and you find yourself in a tunnel that just appears to be dark. And then... You wake up one morning and you say to yourself, I'm trapped. How did I get here? A long journey of detours and the detour of unbelief. Maybe you're here this morning and you've actually done all of this already. The erosion of trust, the cynicism, 
the hardened heart, the hardened mind, and you're looking at me and you're hearing me with skepticism in your mind, maybe you already feel trapped in your unbelief, wondering, well, who can help me now? That's where the story takes a slight turn. It says in verse 41 through 42, Jesus' first four words after the mild rebuke to the disciples and to the people, bring your son here. You know what I love about this? The solution in the story, the gospel as we would call it, the, the, the picture of the gospel in the story is not Jesus telling people like that son, the father, or even his disciples or any, uh, anybody in this room, you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and believe more. Just wrestle your willpower into submission and believe better. He's not telling people at Reality Santa Barbara, you need to get your life in order and then I will rescue you from bondage. He's not saying you need to dot the I's, cross the T's, believe all of these right things, sweep your house because it's messy and I don't want to touch your living room. And then when, you're, when your heart and your mind are in a settled place, then I'll come in and visit you. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, bring your son to me. There's people in this room who feel trapped. They don't know what to do about their lives. They don't even have the willpower to look up at the beauty and faithfulness of God. And God is still saying to you out of his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and his grace and his love, bring your son here, whatever that means to you. Notice that the focus of the story isn't even on their faithlessness. Jesus just rebuked everybody in the room for being faithless. And he still brings them his healing power. The focus of the story is not on the faithlessness of humanity, but on the faithfulness of God who loves humanity. Jesus is the one who brings the power of unstuck, both to the boy who is oppressed by the devil, but also to the parents and the disciples and the onlookers who had no idea how to set him free. He unsticks them all. He brings them all out of the trap. Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, heals the boy, and gives him back to his father. Even when you lack faith, even when you lack the tenacity, the wherewithal to pursue Jesus, Jesus is still pursuing the restoration of your life. Even if you've fallen off the wagon, even if you've gotten stuck in a series of figure eights, spiritually or emotionally speaking, Jesus is still in hot pursuit. He doesn't get trapped. His eyes are locked on you like a hawk, and he's in mad pursuit for the restoration of some trapped hearts in this building. Perhaps there's some people in this room that feel trapped by a variety of things, right? Right? Maybe you feel trapped in your sin, the ways in which we fall away from Jesus. Some of you, maybe you feel trapped in bad and destructive habits. Some of you, maybe you feel trapped in loneliness. Some of you, maybe you feel trapped in broken relationships that you can't get out of and that you can't fix or mend. Maybe some of you are trapped in hurtful cycles with yourself, with other people, again, that you can't fix. And maybe, worst of all, Maybe in relationship to one of those cycles, you also feel trapped in unbelief. You're at a point in your life where you think there's no hope for you anymore. That is a lie from the pit of hell. 
Some of you, maybe you feel like you, you, you're struggling to believe that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But Jesus wants to do for you what he did for that son. I love those two words in that passage, but Jesus. I love that stuff like that comes up all over the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2, first it talks about our sin. It talks about how we were trapped, about how we were depraved, about all of the things that we do to ruin our lives. But God, in the riches of his mercy... But Jesus wants to do for you what he did for that son. He rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the boy, and he gave him back to his father. I think Jesus wants to do that this morning. I think Jesus wants to take some people out of the clutches of the devil and give them back to his father. In John chapter 12, verse 46, for those who feel confused or locked down or trapped or stuck in the darkness, Jesus himself would say, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. If I could paraphrase that from the Chris Lazo translation of the Bible, Jesus is saying, I have come to release people who are trapped by the power contained in myself. Jesus did that finally and most perfectly and most vividly when he died on the cross and rose again on Sunday. Rose, uh, rose again three days later. Not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but for the eradication, for the destruction of spiritual powers in heavenly places. To break chains over people who feel trapped. To release blind eyes of people who can't see to open up dead hearts that cannot believe, to deal with the doubts that we and no one around us can deal with, Jesus can deal with. When he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he did not do that to give us some nice cross jewelry. He did that to open up a way for God's world to come close to your world, for you to experience and taste and see that God is real and God is good and you don't have to be trapped anymore. I want to give you all, whether you've been following Jesus for 90 years or you aren't even sure if you're a Christian or not, a chance to respond to that. But first, that invitation that Jesus offers is simply about getting back on the pathway with him. It starts with dealing with our unbelief. It starts, if I can put it this way, with trust. Trust means that you don't have to have all the questions answered. This is why it's okay to wrestle with doubt. This is why some of the greatest men and women in the Bible wrestled with doubt. And God still loved them. It's because doubt and trust are not mutually exclusive. You can wrestle with doubt and still know enough about Jesus to trust him enough to grab him by the hand and follow him. Wrestle with doubt. Wrestle with doubt with us as we reach out and grab the hand that Jesus has extended to us. It starts with trust. In the end of that line, in verse 43, I love the response of the people and the disciples and the parent. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. They didn't do anything. They didn't get their lives back together. They didn't fix themselves. They didn't beautify their faces or their spirits or their souls. They were simply responding to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were astonished. 
The word for astonishment there means literally to be struck. The, the word speaks of actually uh, experiencing a blow. It's kind of crazy. The crowds experienced a blow to their hearts. Uh, we have a word for that. We call it conviction. That feeling deep down inside where you're not just a move, moved emotionally, but you're moved at the heart level. You are struck with conviction. You know what conviction is? Conviction is faith grabbing a hold of your heart and causing you to move causing you to take that first step forward into the pathway of Jesus. They were moved more by the majesty of God than their own inability to solve problems. You got some problems today? Me too. You don't need to have all your problems solved before you can grab a hold of the extended hand of Jesus and be moved by conviction. For some of you, that's all he's asking of you. Just trust me. This word astonishment, they were all astonished, has this continuous movement to it, meaning there was left in their hearts a lasting impression. This wasn't just a parlor trick from Jesus that wowed the crowds. There were some people in that crowd who were cut to the quick, to put it in that old King James language. They were convicted to the core of who they were, and it lasted. There was change in their lives because they saw the solution. They saw it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want to end right there with my treatment of this text and offer you the same invitation that Jesus has been offering to people for hundreds of years. And it's going to look different for some of you than it is for others because we're all in different stages of our spiritual journey. And as we do it, I want to spell out a few ways. I'm going to ask uh, Robert and the rest of the team to come out here as we transition into singing. For some of you, You've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life ever before in your lives. Or maybe, you don't, maybe you're not even sure. Maybe you're like, I, I've been going to church for like years, but I don't know. I have questions. I don't know if I'm, the, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I think I like some things about, maybe you're, maybe you're confused. Maybe you don't even know. That's okay. Start fresh today. For you, Jesus' invitation is simply just trust me. I'll figure this out with you as we go. I've indeed already got it figured out, but just trust me. Just grab me by the hand and trust me. For some of you, the call on your life, because this is brand new to you, is to start to wrestle with Jesus' invitation in your life to follow him. Jesus, in another part of the Gospels, would say to people who would uh, endeavor to follow him, I want you to count the cost. I want you to calculate the cost of what it's going to mean in your life to follow me. In other words, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be a cakewalk. I'm not going to remove every problem you've ever had. There's going to be challenges, but I promise you that joy will come in the morning. But I don't want anybody to step into this journey with me without calculating what it's going to be like. Are you ready to do this thing with me? For some of you, this is brand new to you, and your goal, your homework today is to simply calculate what does it mean to follow Jesus, and is that really what I want in my life? And I pray that your answer would be yes. Wrestle with the implications. Are you willing to surrender your life to follow the master? 